Welcome to Rights of Way, with me, Alastair Nisbet. I've come into Thorncombe Woods with Dorset Council Ranger Claire Platton to find out about the history of this ancient woodland. Claire, Thomas Hardy writes about his birthplace as his grandmother remembered it, wild, alone, surrounded by slopes covered with brambles, firs and thorn. What do you think the woods would have been like when he was a young boy? 50 years later in 1850. Okay, my understanding of the landscape um, in those times is that it is a, a working landscape. So we've got animals out on the heath and those animals would be providing food and leather and other products for people to use. You've got the woodland, which is a working woodland. So people are extracting timber, probably plants for edibles and that kind of stuff with the season. So, yes, it would have been a lot more wild than we are today. It won't have a visitor's centre, a car park, nice paths set out and benches. But at the same time, it would be quite well managed by human influence already. So they, but they would have come in from outside then, presumably, because he describes it, or grandmother describes it as being wild and remote with just the heath croppers for friends. And the heath croppers were horses. Presumably. Yeah, horses, cattle, that's what was known as heath croppers in those times, the animals that were living out there. But yeah, they weren't wild stock, those were animals that were looked after by people, used their commoners' rights across the heathlands, across Dorset. Uh, it would have been a similar situation to that. So do you think we would recognise the woods if we could see them in 1850? Do you think we would recognise them? No, I think it would look quite different to what it does now in the sense that we have a lot of more mature trees around us. We also have um, out on the Heathland where the Forestry Commission are, there's a pine plantation which would never have been there. There would have been the odd trees and a lot more Heathland out on those areas. And just having like big trees that Thorncombe is sort of famed for nowadays, there wouldn't have been as many of them back then. Uh, and as I look around, we're surrounded by sweet chestnut trees, big, mature, sweet chestnut trees. Why have we got so many sweet chestnuts? Yeah, it's interesting because in Dorset as a whole, we don't have a lot of sweet chestnut stands, especially in a public woodland that you can access like you can here. Sweet chestnut is a brilliant wood for furniture making and building. It's fencing, those kind of things. It has its own natural tannins. So we believe that this woodland with its chestnuts would be sort of beneficial to people working in woodland, trying to extract a living from, from the trees themselves because they're very durable and therefore a good product. And they would have probably coppiced the chestnut then? Yeah, so there's evidence of coppice chestnuts in the in the woodland so some of them are singular standing trees we call these the standard trees and then there's others in the woodland that are multi-stemmed now a multi-stemmed tree is a picture of its past as such so by having a multi-stemmed tree it shows that at one point these trees were coppiced and new growth came back up from that central stem but we can look around and there are sort of multi-stemmed sweet chestnuts which are probably a hundred years old. So um, Claire tell us a little bit about your job as ranger here what does it involve? Okay so my role here started five years ago there was a project from the Heritage Lottery Fund um, which was all about Hardy's birthplace so it was bringing together the landscape that surrounded his birth home and with that, they knew that people who were already interested in nature and people who were already interested in literature would 
come and visit us. So we were providing visitor facilities for visitors that would already come. But on the other side of that was, are there members of our community who are unable to access these woodlands and are unable to sort of embed themselves in the landscape that Thorncombe Woods has to offer. So my ro role originated as an outreach ranger. I was to outreach into the community to pick up people who wouldn't naturally bring themselves here and embed them into this landscape. So we did that through sort of different workshops. We did that through woodwork and conservation work and those kind of things. The legacy of that now is that we have two volunteer groups that come out to us bi-weekly made up of people with different health inequalities and some people have been with me for five years and some people you know, are new to it as the weeks roll on so it's something that people can engage with and be proud of the work that they've done here so that some people can come back now and when they work with me on a Wednesday they can look at something maybe they did two or three years ago whether that's planting a tree or doing some hazel coppicing or digging out a ditch, putting in a bench. So they have those deeper connections to the site that they work on. Or they are in recovery, they've come out of their health inequality. They can, they, I still have people come back just to visit the woods because they enjoyed it so much and it was part of their health recovery. I like working here because so many people have got ties to this place. So I love working here in the sense that people come to me and they will say, I used to bring my children here and now I've brought my grandchild here. Or I remember coming here when I was a school child and now I'm drawing my pension. There's a lot of local people that have a deep connection to this site and I'm privileged to be part of their story now to keep that connection going and allow people to enjoy the space really. Now we talk a lot about uh, improved well-being from being in green spaces. How do you think this place can contribute towards people's well-being? Yeah, so my first part of my job obviously was looking at well-being in nature and you know trying to target people with health inequalities to bring them here because they weren't going to be able to bring themselves here. So there was an interesting piece of work done by NERF which is the New Economics Foundation who look at the productivities of of countries it's not just about your gross national product it's how your your population is and how they feel and how they respond anyway they came up with this five steps to well-being so there's five sort of things that you can do and one of them is is to connect and whether it's to connect to people or to get connect to nature another one is to be active another one is to share and all these things you can do either uh, just by coming here so you can connect with nature by watching the seasons change if you come regularly so I think you can share because you can hear something and you can say to who you're with did you hear that you know long-tailed tit or did you hear that bird what was it there's that connection as well you can be active here so we can walk we can talk we can you know run do orienteering or you can get involved in conservation work and stuff so there's lots of elements of well-being which you can extract from this place as well as obviously just being quiet and being silent here it's a a lot of people say they feel safe here through lockdown actually it's quite interesting bumping into sort of single people out walking by themselves and a couple of them sort of like said oh you know people have said I shouldn't walk by myself but I always come here because I feel safe here and that's really lovely to be working in a place that people feel like that. So we're up on the edge of, of a hazel coppice area mm. um, but it's sort of 
it changes quite a lot across the wood, isn't it? Just tell us a little bit about the variety that we that we see when we come here. Yes, so within the woodland itself, uh, yeah, we've got this um, hazel coppice, which is on our southern boundary. Um, it is predominantly a hazel coppice with an understory of young hazel that's up to about 20 years old in some places, but down to like zero where we've been coppicing. Then there's areas that are predominantly made up of beech trees. Now those areas are quite easy to identify because as soon as you get to the beech stand, there's nothing, there's no ground flora on the ground. Beeches have the ability to smother their own ground flora. So where you are walking where there's no you know, ferns on the ground or bramble or bluebells in the summer, you're gonna be underneath beeches. We then have got quite an interesting stand of evergreens here, which are made up of a lot of non-native. So we've got a lot of American um, sequoia sort of relative plants, as well as larch, um, what else is in there, hemlocks and stuff. Um, again, that's a quite a distinct area, which is predominantly planted up with evergreens. Um, so no matter what time of year, you're always gonna have needles there. Um, and where, then, where have they come from? Where have those trees come from? The, yeah, the we don't know. This is so nothing that we've got documented in our paperwork tells us where they come from. So we think they're like a hundred to two hundred years old. We presume it was some part of a, uh, an arboretum planting by previous landowners, but nothing is documented on any paperwork that we've got at the moment. The so, other area of the of the site, which is different to all the different um, so trees, is obviously we've got black heath which is a, a heathland in restoration so it's got a lot of small oaks understory of holly silver birch trees but it also does have a postage stamp of heathland plants which attract heathland animals invertebrates birds and reptiles and stuff so we work pretty hard to sort of maintain that microscopic piece of of heathland knowing that it is once part of the bigger hardy's egdon heath you know story and stuff and you've got your own heath croppers to look after. <laughs> yes. Tell us about that. Yeah. So uh, we inherited, when I, when I got here five years ago, uh, there was already five ponies here. They are all females and, and they're Dartmoors. And they provide an ongoing conservation service for us in the sense that they will nibble out the bramble, they will nibble out tree saplings. They will eat holly in the winter, they will eat gorse in the winter. The very hardy stock obviously coming off of Dartmoor. So by doing this they're enabling the heathland to be maintained without us interfering. Heathland is a man-made environment as such. It's to do with trees being cleared and nutrients being drained out of the soil. But the heathlands are home to a, a, a collective of animals which don't survive in other sort of habitats. So we want to maintain our bits of heathland so we can you know, enjoy to have, we've got smooth snakes here, we've got adders, we've got night jars that come through. So it's all those sort of rarer heathland species that we're trying to preserve with the help of the ponies. They are doing a good job. Yeah, we share them with a neighbour's site. So there's a piece of heathland next door to us, which if you follow the Roman road up through our site, goes out onto Duddle Heath, and that's owned by a private landowner. And our ponies also can access that piece of heathland through the Roman road. So they are very busy all the time, munching away at stuff. <laughs> Our Mr Hardy, Rod Drew, is now going to read a piece from Hardy's novel, Under the Greenwood Tree. 
about another piece of nearby woodland, Yalbury Wood. The point in Yalbury Wood, which abutted on the end of Geoffrey Day's premises, was closed with an ancient tree, horizontally of enormous extent, though having no great pretensions to height. Many hundreds of birds had been born in midst the boughs of this single tree. Tribes of rabbits and hares had nibbled at its bark from year to year. Quaint tufts of fungi had sprung from the cavities of its forks, and countless families of moles and earthworms had crept about its roots. Beneath and beyond its shade spread a carefully tended grass plot, its purpose being to supply a healthy exercise ground for young chickens and pheasants. The hens, their mothers, being enclosed in coops, placed upon the same green flooring. Thank you. 